0: Satan's position—how he's under the feet of the body of Christ. How Jesus spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. And so we we know who we are. We know our position, and we know what Satan's position is. Amen. Amen. And so we need to know. Okay. The practical side now of, okay, what do we do? And how do we walk this out? You know, like these that had symptoms in their body or other situations. We need to know the practical side of it, amen? So we're going to cover some of that tonight. And we're going to look at a lot of scriptures too. But you know, there's four places that you can be as a Christian. The first place you can be is ignorant of the devil. Now, I was there once, were you? I really didn't even know. I mean, I knew, you know, I thought the devil was had a red suit and a pitchfork. Well, you know, and that's about all I knew about him. You know, I wasn't taught, and so I was ignorant of his devices. The Bible says that we're not to be ignorant of his devices, are we? Does it say that? (laughs) <laughs> Amen. And then the second place we can be in, and I've been in this one too, is those that are fearful of the devil. Now, I was very fearful of the devil when I, even after I first got baptized in the Holy Ghost just because my mind wasn't renewed. You have to have your mind renewed in order to deal with fear of the devil. Amen. God's not giving you a spirit of fear. But, you know, and I was very fearful. I know there was this book on demons and deliverance, and I wouldn't even keep this book at my house. I'm, I stored this book at my grandmother's house. I mean, because I, I, it was literally fear. I mean, that's the only way to describe it. And then those, there are those that, that, that this is a place you might be in. I don't probably nobody in this church is, but there's those that are putting overemphasis on the devil. You know, you've heard it talk, you know, it's those people that there's a demon under every rock. You know, and everything's caused by a demon. Well, family, a lot of things, most most everything isn't caused by a demon. A lot of it's just flesh. You know, and we got to know that. And then there are those, and that's us, this is us. Those that are resting on the word and walking on the devil. Amen. Resting on the word and walking on the devil. Amen. And so we'll talk tonight about how to scripturally deal with the devil. Because if you don't deal with the devil, he'll, he'll, he'll run over you. He'll run over you if you don't deal with him. Amen? He'll run rampant over you. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We've already said this scripture. I've said it, but we'll look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And, and, and we needed to teach this. This needed to be taught in this church. Because even uh, it needed to be taught because we have prayer school. And I know that there are people that come to our prayer school that go, they don't do it like, I I mean, I can just sense sometimes that they they don't understand the way we do prayer school because we're not in here fighting the devil. I mean, we got, and then we have prayer group, uh, prayer group, I mean like prayer groups that meet before every service. And you know, uh, we're not back there fighting the devil. We're back there speaking the word, praying in other tongues. Speaking out what the Holy Ghost give us gives us. Now we do bind the devil, and that's scriptural. We can look in that scripture. We bind the devil, but we, I mean, some, and we don't even, you know, if if I have an unction from the Lord, I'll say, well, now I Satan, I bind you from this service, and you'll not hinder or disturb or disrupt this service in any way, in Jesus' name. And then we just go on about our praying. You know, we don't yell and scream and stomp and kick the wall. You know. It's just not necessary. If you know who you are in Christ, you don't have to do that. Amen? But we do need to deal with the devil. And um, so, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, like I said, we quoted this. He said, um, he, and it's kind of starting in the middle of a thought, but it said, Lest Satan should get an advantage, over, advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. See if we're ignorant of his devices he may take advantage of us right well he will he will he's not a gentleman the holy spirit's a gentleman but satan's not a gentleman amen god does not make people do anything he doesn't drive people he doesn't he doesn't pressure you he draws you he he draws you But He doesn't pressure you. And when you feel pressure and when you feel driven, that's the devil. He drives people. He makes people do things against their will. God will never make anybody get saved. He'll let them go to hell first. He'll never make anybody get baptized in the Holy Ghost. He doesn't make people speak in tongues. Amen. He'll let you do without first, even though He knows it's the best thing for you. Isn't that right? He doesn't make people do anything. He won't. He won't ever make you do anything. He'll lead you. He'll give you unction. But you're. You, but it, it's free will with God. But Satan. He'll drive people. He makes people do things. I mean, when he gets that far into them, you know what I mean. He drives them. Pressures them. Amen. So the devil's the same. He's the same old devil. Do you know the devil's really old? He's really old. But he, and he's the same old devil, same old tactics. And you know, Paul, he had to deal with the devil. You know, the Apostle Paul. And if, we, if he had to deal with the devil, then we will have to deal with the devil. And family, you might as well just face up to it. Some of you just really don't want to face that. I just sense that. I never thought of that before right now. But I just sense it that some of you just don't want to face the fact that you've got to deal with the devil. You just don't want... It's just like, I wish this would go away. He's not going to go away. You will have to deal with the devil. If the Apostle Paul had to, you'll have to. If Jesus had to, you'll have to. Amen? God will never deal with the devil for you. Paul already tried that, remember? Remember the Apostle Paul saying, uh, three times I beseech the Lord? And basically, summing it up, what he did was three times he beseeched the Lord and said, Lord, do something about this devil. And every time the Lord said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul had Paul had gotten the revelation. Paul, God gave Paul the revelation that we have in the New Testament. Paul wrote down more than half of the New Testament, and Paul knew how to deal with the devil. But he didn't want to. He wanted you know, sometimes we go through something where it's like, God, I don't want to face this. Did you ever get symptoms in your body and just think, man, if I ignore this, maybe it'll go away? I just do not want to do this thing. Well, that's no way to deal with the devil. Amen? In, in, in uh, James, it says that we're to submit ourselves to God and we're to resist the devil and he will flee. And the way you resist the devil is you resist him with the word. That is how you resist the devil. If you were wanting to know, how do I resist the devil? You resist him with the word. When fear comes, the the moment it comes, the second you feel a little inkling of fearfulness in any area, you say, in Jesus' name, I resist the spirit of fear. God has not given me a spirit of fear, and I won't take it. It don't do you one bit of good. Now, tell, listen to me because I know from personal experience it don't do you one bit of good when you feel fear to just start praying in tongues. In 1984, I drove into a cloud of fear. I literally drove into a cloud of fear. I'd never, well, I guess I had probably had tendencies towards fear all my life and didn't even realize it, but had never had panic. And I drove into a cloud of panic. And I did the wrong thing. I was the Holy Ghost filled. I didn't know to resist the devil, though. I had not been taught. I didn't know enough. What you don't know can kill you. And I did not know enough, and I did the wrong thing. I started praying in tongues. And for the next few years, years, when that thing would try to come against me, I would answer it by praying in tongues. And that's not how you answer the spirit of fear, even though tongues is wonderful. And and, and we, we know we pray the wisdom of God out in the mystery. Probably praying in tongues finally got me the revelation. But I'm telling you, I got set free from fear when I started resisting that thing. And I said, no, in Jesus' name, I don't take you. God has not given me a spirit of fear. And that's just how you do it. And that's how you do it for sickness. You feel a symptom in your body, just praying in tongues isn't going to solve that. Now, you may pray in tongues afterwards, but you need to resist the devil and say, No, I won't take you. I will not take you. I don't take you. I and you can quote the word from there. According to 1 Peter two twenty four. By his stripes we were healed. If we were healed, I was healed. If I was healed, I am healed. I've been redeemed from the curse. I don't have to take this and so I'm not going to take it. Amen. And family, you you know when the thought, when the thought of sickness, even if the symptoms is not there, but the thought of sickness comes, resist it. Satan will start coming around you. He'll send a spirit of cancer around you to start tormenting you with the thought of cancer. And you need to let him know right up front, you're not taking it. I won't take it, Satan. I'm not taking it. And that's how you do it. It's just as simple as it can be. But you don't have to go around fighting him all day, every day. I mean, once you've resisted him, then, you know, praise God, just start speaking the word and act like the word's true. You don't have to scream and stomp and yell for three hours. In fact, the second time you resist him, he knows the first time you resisted him, you didn't believe. And he'll try you on that. He'll try you on that. Boy, I got into it with both feet right off the bat, didn't I? (laughs) I I, I wasn't going to start there. That's the end of my sermon. Amen. So um, one device that the devil has is that he tries to get people off into extremes. And when we get into extremes, we're unfruitful. When people go off and start warning the heavenlies, flying up into 747s, you know what they're thinking about all the time when you start doing that? You're thinking about devils all the time. That's what you're thinking about all the time and that's an extreme and when you get over into an extreme you get unfruitful see we got to stick with the word of god if you'll turn to first corinthians chapter four verse six you need to underline this scripture in your bible draw circles around it put stars around it first corinthians chapter four verse six it says And these things brethren i have in a figure transferred to myself and to apollos For your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. I I want you to kind of get all the Peripheral stuff off of this scripture. It seems like it's got a lot of words in there that, if we could just get rid of, we could get the, down to the meaning of the scripture. Especially there, if you see the one that's in italics, italics that of men is in italics. That means it's not in the original Hebrew. That the translators have added that for clarification. And actually, I think it muddies it more than it clarifies it. And so, because there's the point right there in that that right there that ye might learn in us not to think above that which is written. That ye might learn in us not to think of that above that which is written. What that means in a nutshell, family, is just don't go out beyond the word. Don't go out beyond the word. If it's not in the word, don't go there. You know. You know. In these um, revival type meetings that sprang up, I, I. You know. I know one specifically in Canada. I heard, and I don't know. And and I'm sure it started out Holy Ghost, but I heard that they were barking up there like dogs. Well, family, that's not in the Word. We're out beyond the Word when we start barking in church. You can't find anybody barking in the Bible. The only person you can find acting like an animal in the Bible was Nebuchadnezzar, and this guy has gone so far into sin that he has reverted and started being an ape and eating grass. Y'all sure are quiet. But isn't this true? We need to stay with the Word. We stay with the Word. We stay with the Word. Don't go out beyond the Word. You'll be safe if you'll just stick with the Word. Don't go out beyond the Word. I mean, you there, right there. That's it. Just stay right there. Just stay with the Word. Just stick to the Word. When I mean when symptoms are raging in your body and you've prayed and believed the believe, you know, and you and it's like symptoms didn't budge right off, well, you know, you're thinking, well, what do I do now? Just stick with the Word. Just stick like glue on the Word of God. Just stick like glue on the Word of God. When it looks like Satan didn't leave, when you were told him to leave, just stick like glue on the Word of God. Don't say, well, I, I I I resist the devil, but nothing happened. Well, right there, you gave him the right to stay. Just stick like glue on the Word of God. See, he, he he. It's. I'm telling you what, he cannot. The word is the final authority. Whether he likes it or not, and he don't. But the word's the final authority. So we gotta stick like glue on the word of God. Amen. I know sometimes I, I've been tempted to just nearly wring my hands, just walk the floor. Well, what? Surely I need to do something else. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? No, just stick with the word. Just stick with the word. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, so we need to think right and believe right. Because if we're not thinking and believing right, Satan will rob us. If you don't think and believe right, then you're going to not act right. Hello. Amen. And so one area of wrong thinking we've talked about today extensively is Christians starting to try to fight the devil. I told you about the letter we got about... Uh, Together with you To get ours together battling in the heavenlies And you know that's how they signed the letter And I thought well not with me I'm not going to go with you there I'm all for you starting a church in in, uh, uh, Amsterdam I'm all for planting churches And opening barns But I don't want to battle in the heavenlies with you Amen Besides brother Hagen, our father of faith I don't want to go in this tonight But Jesus appeared to him in a vision Told him how to deal with the devil one of his visions. You need to get his book, I Believe in Visions. He relates every time that the Lord appeared to him, except the last few times after the book was written. But every time the Lord appeared to him, he tells the vision and what the Lord told him to do. The Lord told him how to deal with the devil, and he told him that there's four classes of demons, as we know, powers, principalities, you know, that scripture. And I'm kind of right now, I don't have it, in it's not coming out, but anyway, four classes of demons, and the Lord said, uh, you know, the lower class, and he said, the middle, the second class, third class, and he said, the high class, the highest class of demons, those that are in the heavenlies, Jesus said, you take care of the lower three, and I'll take care of the upper, the, the that one. Jesus is going to take care of those. Hey, I believe the prophets. I tell you what, I believe. When Brother Hagen says it, I believe it. The Bible tells us to believe the prophets. And he is tested and tried and proved. I mean, if we're not going to believe that prophet, family, what prophet are we going to believe? Because he's proved himself with how many years of ministry now, Jeremy? Sixty-something, isn't it? Sixty-something years of ministry, proving himself. And his visions that he had where Jesus appeared to him and told him what to do. And told him, and he has, do you realize the ministries that have sprung up because of Kenneth E. Hagin? I mean, Brother Copeland, I mean, do you realize the people that say, that, that that are have been birthed out of that ministry? I mean, it's just thousands upon thousands. This word of faith message has gone all over the whole world. Because of Brother Kenneth Hagan e. Hagin and the visions that God gave him and told him what to do. And family, we need to believe the prophets and we need to do it. Amen? And besides all that, you can back it all up with the Word of God. We're not, you know, God, God's not asking us to believe something that's not in the Word. Amen? He just appeared to Brother Hagin and just clarified some things. Because there was no teacher out there teaching it. There's no need. God's not going to appear to you and tell you how to deal with them because he told Brother Hagen, and he expected you to believe the prophets. Amen. Hello. So you can just wait around all day for Jesus to appear. You can tell you and it's not happening. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we stick with the word of God. Praise the God. So there is a spiritual warfare though. But look at Luke 19, 13. Now, I know y'all want to know, so. Jesus already fought the devil and won. We studied that this morning. Look at Luke 19, 13. I'm in Luke 9. That won't work. And he called his ten servants. Well, let's start in 12. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. See, he's given us a a, a parable here. Really a parable of the kingdom of God. And how the certain nobleman, that would be Jesus, went into a far country in order to set up a kingdom. and And he... got his servants together, and the ten servants, of course, represent us, the church. And he told the servants what to do. He didn't say, fight till I come. He said, occupy till I come. See, there's a world of difference between a fighting army and an occupying army. We're an army, all right, but we're an occupying army, not a fighting army. Jesus already fought the fight, and he already won. Amen? But, you, you know, we have soldiers that go in in certain countries, and they're not fighting, they're just occupying. Y'all, y'all know what I mean? I mean, that's that's how it is. And some, sometimes after a war's been fought and the war's been won, then we leave soldiers there to occupy to make sure it stays that way. Isn't that how it is? And that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, you're an occupying army. You occupy till I come. Actually, that word occupy, you can translate that to mean do business until I come. Well, what business are we going to do? This business of the Word of God, this business right here, Amen. And so uh, um, we're that occupying army. We're not in battle. We, you know, sometimes listen when you are uh, fighting symptoms or anything. Don't magnify the battle. Magnify the victory. Magnify the victory. Magnify the victory. Oh, well, you know, I, I realize that, you know, the flesh screams loud sometimes. Are y'all's flesh ever screamed real loud? But, you know, you reach down in here. There's something down in here, family. And you have to learn to reach down in here and get it. You have to learn that to reach down inside of yourself. Amen? Praise God. That's where you get it. You reach down inside of yourself. So... Uh, um you know, some, some, some people, though, are emphasizing spiritual warfare to the degree that you'd think there was no other subject in the Bible. You know, we've even, it's really infiltrated us. We even say, we catch ourselves even saying this, and it's just not even really scripturally correct. We call people that pray prayer warriors. And it's not really even right. Because, listen, prayer is not war. Prayer is communing with our Heavenly Father. We don't fight when we go to pray. We commune with our Father, and so it's really not right to call prayers prayer warriors. But see that that militant church that that, that that's infiltrated our. It's 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 got in us. It's got in our talk, hasn't it? And you know, even without thinking, sometimes we'll say, "Well, you know, she's a she that saint. She prays all the time. She's a real prayer warrior." Well. She's a prayer. Amen. Hallelujah. So let's look at the New Testament and see the words war and warfare tonight, okay? Because they're in the New Testament, so we need to see, well, how did, how are they used? And I want you to notice one thing is how seldom the words war and warfare are used. And when they are used, I just will tell you this right up front. We might as well just know this ahead of time. Every time the words war and warfare are used in the New Testament, not one time is it ever used in, with the word devil or Satan. Not one time. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. I st- let's start with this one. I really like it a lot myself. It's it's who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges. Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? He says there, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Man, it's not even talking about the fighting the devil. It's talking about warfare. It's not talking about fighting the devil. It's talking about making sure ministers are adequately paid. I told you I really like this scripture. This is my choice That's of all of them. I started with this one. You know, this is, this is saying, you know, make sure ministers of the gospel are adequately paid. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, when we get that in perspective, I mean, if you look at the surface there, you say, well, our weapons of our warfare, you know, well, praise God, our weapons are mighty. Hallelujah. There's just no excuse for anybody not being able to cast down imaginations and pull down thoughts. Amen. But see, it's talking about you taking charge of your mind and over the thoughts in your mind. That's what it's talking about. That's where we pull down strongholds. That's where we cast down imaginations. And if you'll cast down imaginations, just the first time it comes, you'll never have a stronghold. Amen? I mean, strongholds get started because they start with an imagination that didn't get cast down. They start with a thought. Every thought that exalts itself against the name. So every thought of fear is exalting itself against the name of Christ. Amen? Every thought of sickness is exalting itself against Christ. Every thought that's perverse that you know, you know the kind of thoughts I'm talking about. Those things are exalting themselves against Christ. You know, I, I want to say this. When you have a thought that's not, that's perverse, don't get under condemnation and think, Oh God, I must not even be saved if I could think a thought like that. Well, dear God, Satan planted that thought in your mind. You know that's how people get to be pornographers. That's how they get... Uh, to get they get um, sexual strongholds in their lives where they become rapists and, I don't know, pornographers and whatever else. I, I, I don't even know. But that's how it happens is with the one thought. It begins with one thought. One thought that's not cast down. Amen? So that's why you don't need to sit there and feed on those things on TV. I mean, cast it down. <laughs> cast it down. Amen? If you're, you know... If you're doing what you're supposed to, you won't even see those things to start with. But I know sometimes we stumble across things on TV. But just cast that thing down. Don't let it get a stronghold. Don't sit there and feed on it even one minute. Don't let that thought get in there so that you are always having to cast that thought down. I know a preacher. I mean, I'll I'll just get out there tonight. But uh, we had a preacher friend. And he, um, when he first started in the ministry, you know, he was like Paul. He had to make tents for a while, have a job, too. And so he worked in the oil field. And the oil field is noted for being a pretty perverse place to work. I don't know if y'all know that here. But, you know, where we come from, that's what it is, oil field and agriculture. And uh, and it, it's noted for bad. And he went in a doghouse. Does anybody know what the doghouse is? In the oil? Does anybody know anything about oh, Anyway, only Myron knows. Well, anyway, the doghouse is, tell what's the doghouse, Myron? Okay, yeah. Yeah, where they keep the chains and all the stuff, you know, and it's called the doghouse. Anyway, and so he went in the doghouse and there was a pornographic picture been hanging up in the doghouse. And, you know, of course, he just backed out of there and didn't look. But he said for years, for years he had cast that down. It was like it glued itself in his mind. It's like he could see it. Years later, he could see that. So see, we need to guard our eyes. David, the king, King David told us in the Psalms, he said to not let any perverse thing or any evil thing come in through our eye gates, didn't he? We're to guard our eye gates. Amen? Praise God. And it's for our benefit. It's for our benefit because one thing can lead to another. You know, they've proven that rapists and all that, most of the time, most of the time, most of the time, they're pornographers. Amen? And so we guard ourselves. We guard ourselves. And family, I don't have, you can say, well, yeah, but we're Christians. Well, where were you in the last of the 80s? Did you have your head under a rock when the preachers, it was found out that evidently they have been feeding on some of the wrong things? Do you know what I mean? Amen. See, you can't feed on those things and them not establish a stronghold in your life. Isn't that right? Well, we can go on. Y'all are convinced. Uh, See, the devil can't get into a believer, though, unless the door is open. We're talking here about casting down imaginations. The devil can't get into a believer unless the door is open. But he, he, he can if a door is open. We need to keep doors shut. We need to keep doors shut. Amen. We do. We need to keep doors shut because because the devil, he can't possess a Christian in his spirit. See, if you're possessed by the devil in your spirit, honey, you're not a Christian. But he can get in a spirit. He can get in a Christian's flesh. And he can be oppressed. A Christian can be oppressed by a devil. A, pre- a Christian can be demonized. Amen. That's right. So see, this, this mind here, this casting down imaginations, this is the battlefield. When you've won here, family, you've won. When you win right here, you win. Amen? Galatians, in six, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, we won't turn there, but you know what it says. It says, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. A lot of things that people are saying is demons, though, you know, is just stuff they've sowed. Things they've sowed in thought and word and deed. And then they reap it. And a lot of times it doesn't really have anything to do with the devil. He'll take advantage of your words though, you know. You can give the devil place with your words. Even by our little, even Christians, even committed Christians like we are. Who are really guarding our mouth and trying not to say the right thing. We need to let the Holy Ghost even show us further things. Because sometimes just in a, like a slang sort of thing, we say things that give place to the devil. You know, I heard Sister Gloria talk on a tape about uh, saying that just blew me away. Boy, that just blew me away. She said she said it all the time until in one of her meetings, the roof got blew off of her meeting while she was preaching. And she said, "Man, I tell you what I got a revelation. I was quitting saying that just blew me away." And I was listening to another minister, a lady minister recently. And she was talking on this tape about how right at the moment when she was preaching right then that she was preaching with a broken rib, that she had a broken rib. And she was talking about it, it was painful but that she was really making a point that, you know, we just rise up and do it anyway. Amen? And so she's talking about preaching with a broken rib and she saying and she said and, and then about that time she said, give me a break. And the audience caught it just like that. And the audience laughed. And then she caught herself. And she realized she realized what she would said. And she realized, and family, I have heard this woman. I've listened to a lot of her tapes. I've heard this woman say many times, give me a break. Uh, I, and, uh, I mean, it was just like such revelation. The Lord, the Lord really did it. He showed us a picture of how we give place to things. And she had broken this rib, coffin. You've heard of people breaking their ribs. Coffins hard, they break a rib. Well... You know, she was saying, Give me, she said, she said it all the time, give me a break. Well, there's just little slang things like that that we need to get out of our conversation that give place to the devil sometimes. Now, one of my sayings that I say a lot, I I think it's a pretty good one, actually. I I picked it up from a friend of mine. You know, who you hang out with makes a lot of difference because you'll pick up what they say. And I picked this up from a friend. I'd never heard anybody say it. But if she, if something got, you know, she something got to her or something, or somebody said something that was off the wall or something, she'd say, give me strength. And I thought, well, you know, that is a pretty good confession. You know, the worst that you can get from it is strength. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. So, so if you're gonna say something like that, at least get you a good one. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, turn over to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. See, we got to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And, and, And there's a number of ways that imaginations need to be cast down. See, I've given you several right there. It's not just casting down the bad thoughts that come to your mind, but it's casting down the unloving thoughts that come to your mind. You know, did you ever think, man, I'd like to give him a piece of my mind? Well, some we need to cast down those things. Those things are exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. Those things are exalting themselves against the love walk. And our faith works by love. I can't afford to step out of the love walk. I do, but I can't afford to. I decided I'm quitting it. Amen? Because I can't afford to, so I have to cast down those imaginations. Amen? It's just not worth it. It's not worth getting out of the love walk to be right. Amen? It's not worth it. But, you know, hallelujah, thank God for the Holy Ghost. You've got to have the power of the Holy Ghost to do that. Amen? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. We'll see some more about war and warfare. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Well, he's not talking about the devil. There is he. Look in verse 19. He tells us what he's talking about, about warfare. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. He's talking about war and a good warfare by staying in faith. You know, you've got to fight a fight sometimes with yourself to just stay in faith, don't you? And he talks about keeping your conscience clean by faith and a good conscience. And the devil's not even mentioned here. Look at 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. He's talking about being a soldier for Christ. And he's talking about that that we don't, that the war, one of the wars we fight is to stay out unentangled. To stay unentangled with the things of this life. See, the world will try to pull you into their way of doing and thinking and being. And, and, and they'll even condemn you. Well, you go to church too much. You know, and then, you know, they may even put some persecution on there and call you, well, you know, goody-two-shoes there. He's a do-gooder. And we have to fight to stay unentangled with the world. The world wants to pull us in. Amen? That's exactly right. And stay committed to the call of God on our life. We're going to be good soldiers. We're going to have to be disciplined and dedicated and stay free from this world. Stay free from the cares of this world and all hindrances. Turn to James chapter 4. But see, you see there, it's not talking about the devil, is it? James chapter 4 verse 1 from whence come wars and fightings among you come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members ye lust and have not ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain ye fight and war yet ye have not because ye ask not see he's talking there about warring against the unrestrained fleshly activities really is what he's talking about See, according to James here, spiritual warfare has to do mostly with fighting the lusts of the flesh. Amen. Well, the flesh tries to lust. Well, you know, don't don't just think of that in sexual terms. I tell you, you can go to, I, I, you can go to the mall and get lust on you. I'm not talking about sexual lust. I'm telling you start wanting things that you can't afford. Amen. And they can pull on you really hard too. Amen. So we fight those things. And these things, the lust of the flesh, destroy spiritual development. They really do. You know, in the morning when the alarm rings, and you know you need to get up and pray, but the lust of the flesh will pull on you, won't it? It will. It will. And it will tell you, oh, you can pray later today. Have you all ever figured out that didn't work? I, I tried that many times. I thought, okay, I'll just sleep in today and and I'll pray later today. It, it never happens. I don't know what happens. It doesn't happen. It, that's a lust. I mean it's warring against us. It's our flesh warring against what the spirit's saying to do. And you say, yeah, but I'm tired. Well, two things, if you quit saying you're tired, number one, I mean that'd be help you a bunch. And second thing, though, is you got to know, and family, this is the truth. People tell me sometimes I, I was just so tired I couldn't come to church. Family, you don't rest. I guarantee you, you're just as tired. Rest, there's a rest that comes from the Spirit and that comes from faith. There's a rest that comes the, from there. And see, we just can make up our minds. See, I've been in a long siege here of going to church because we started last Sunday with our meetings, and then we went all week, and then I went to the retreat. And uh, uh, and then today, you know, I knew I was going to have to preach today. And, you know, I don't know, I kind of agree with him, but Keith Moore says that one-hour preaching is like an eight-hour workday. If you've never done it, you might not know that. I, I do know this, that when we first started in the ministry... Literally, we, Pastor and I would come home from church, and this isn't a good confession, but I'm just making it for a point. We died all afternoon. It was like something about that anointing. I, I, it has to do with the anointing more than what you're doing. Let me just tell you that. It has to do with the anointing. And this body, of course, you do increase, and you get where you're better able to carry the anointing. And now we don't do that. Rarely take a nap on Sunday afternoon. Um, but uh, what was I saying? Hmm. Hmm. Praise God. Where am I? Somebody help me. Locate me. Lust of the flesh, yeah. See, you know, most of the time, now I'm not saying we don't need to rest our bodies. We do. We need sleep. But staying home from church, there's a benefit there. And what I made up my mind, I knew I was going to go into this long siege of meetings. I'm still not through. I'm going to Huntsville tomorrow night. The Madison is a suburb of Huntsville. And I'm gonna be in a meeting then. Then I'm gonna come Tuesday night to prayer school. Wednesday night I'm gonna to come to church. Thursday night we start Bible college. So the next night we have off is Friday. Amen. And so, um, uh, but I just made up my mind. I just said, now Lord, the things of God don't in don't decrease us. They increase us. And I'm just gonna make up my mind. I'm not gonna be exhausted in this. I, I just made up my mind. I, you just made up your mind. I'm not gonna be. I just, I'm, I just refuse because the things of God increase us. They don't decrease us. Amen. And, and like Pastor said, we may have to rearrange our schedule, do a little planning. We conserve energy. I always, I take, I, I, you know, you need to be careful when you get in meetings. You don't abuse that by saying, oh, you know, I'm on God's anointing here, so I'll just stay up all night and visit. I, you know, I, I wouldn't do that. Sometimes women go to retreats and they stay up all night and talk all night. Well, I'm not going to do that you know cuz i know i need to conserve my energy i know i need my sleep but on the other hand i'm just you know you either believe for failure or you believe for victory and a lot of times we're just releasing our faith for failure do you see what i mean so 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 we need to cast down those imaginations um let's see we're in first now turn to first peter we're just about end of our scriptures. There's not very many scriptures on war and warfare. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Well, he didn't talk anything about the devil there. He said it's flesh, it's flesh, flesh, fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Amen? It's fleshly lusts that hinder our growth in Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 7 now. And verse 23, he says, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. See, and Paul told us there's a war in the flesh. There's a war between the flesh and the spirit, isn't there? He said, I see a war here. I, I see, you know, and then he later goes on and says, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I end up doing. He said, there's a war going on here. And he said, then he says, well, who can save me from this? And then he says, and then he goes into, well, praise God, it's Jesus that can save us from that war. Amen? Amen. But we're going to have to do our part. And our part is the scripture we read earlier that we cast down imaginations. See, you know, even walking the faith walk, any any thought that's against faith, you need to cast it down. Any thought that's not faith, you know, well, you know, I tell you what, I don't know if we ought to give, we might not ought to tithe. I cast that down. I cast that thing, that thing down. I cast it down in the name of Jesus. See, we cast all those things down. So war and warfare, we've seen from the New Testament, have a lot more to do with putting the flesh under, have a lot more to do in staying in control of your thought life, and staying in faith, keeping our conscience clear. That's what it has to do with. A lot more than it does fighting the devil, doesn't it? But let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll look at this scripture. Because we need to know, well, do we wrestle with demons? And so let's look in Ephesians 6. And we'll begin there in verse 10. He said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places right there's those four classes of demons that I was trying to think of a while ago wherefore taken to you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Then he goes on there and talks about prayer. Amen. But, so we do see from this scripture that we do have the devil to deal with, but we need to read this in context. We need to read it in the context of the New Testament. We need to read this from the perspective of what we talked about this morning, that we know that Jesus has defeated Satan for us. We need to read this in the context of the fact that we know that Jesus has redeemed us from Satan's dominion, and read it within that context. Well, if Satan's already been dealt with, if Satan, if Jesus has already defeated Satan, and we've been redeemed, and we've been redeemed from his dominion, well, then what? Are, what's the wrestle here? Well, W. E. Vines says the word wrestle means to sway. To sway, and so what he's saying there is, we're to put on the armor of God and not let these demons sway us. And it, and he's telling us that it's not people, it's not people. When something when 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 it seems like people are coming against you, family, it's not people. When it seems like people are persecuting you, it's not people. It comes through people, but it's not people. Who's behind it all? The devil's behind it, isn't he? And he's trying to sway you. And you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to sway you off of faith. He's trying to get you over into doubt and unbelief. Get you off of faith. That's it, always. That is always what he is trying to do. Bottom line, that is what he's trying to do. Get you out of faith. get Get you off of faith. And so he's making it plain here, Paul is, that it's not people we're wrestling with, that it's powers and principalities that are behind the situations that we encounter. When you encounter persecution at work, it's powers and principalities behind it. And they're trying to sway you off of faith. But if you'll just do what we said at the first, if you'll just stick to the Word, you don't have to go into a tizzy fight in the devil. You just stick to the Word of God. See, he He has to bend when you speak the Word. He has to give up. He has to let go. He has to bend. Amen? Amen. Well, we have other scriptures. We know that we have to deal with the devil. Now, I'm not teaching you here that you don't have to deal with the devil. I'm teaching you that he's already been been defeated. You're redeemed from him. And you are to resist him, take your authority over him, and then stick like glue to the word of God. Matthew 18 and verse 18 says that whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Right? And then in Matthew 12, 28, it says that we have to bind the strong man. Do you all know what I'm talking about here? We could look these up, but I know you know them. Mark 16, 17 says these signs shall follow those that believe. They'll cast out, the first thing they'll do, it says, is they will cast out devils. So we do have authority, and we do deal with the devil. And I'm not saying you never say, you can get unbalanced and say, well, I'm not ever going to say anything to the devil. Well, he's going to walk over you if you don't resist him. Amen? And you're not going to be scriptural if you don't cast him out. Amen? You're not going to be scriptural. And we take, like James 4, James 4, 7 says, we submit ourselves to God, we submit ourselves to the Word of God, we resist the devil. And I told you how to do it. I showed you how to do it. Well, I had a question asked me this morning, so I want to talk about that for a few minutes. And uh, the question was this. Well, I have a family member, and they are... Um, well, actually, a Christian, and uh, but they're, I'll just say this, they didn't say it, but demonized, mm-hmm. oppressed by the devil, to the point of schizophrenia, hearing voices, so mental illness. So if I don't fight the devil, what do I do? Well, this is a good question. What do you do? I'm telling you what, that, you know, I, I, let me just give you some encouragement here. It's no accident that I preached on what I preached on today. I got it in prayer this afternoon and we got it even stronger in the prayer room tonight that the person that came up to me and said that to me about their loved one, this is a divine appointment. This is a season. God wants them free. It is not right for this covenant woman to be bound any longer. Amen. And God knows how to set this woman free. Amen. Okay, so what do I do, though? What do I do? Here I am, my loved one, and, you know, I'm not supposed to fight the devil, but, you know, you can feel pretty helpless. So what do you do? Well, I tell you what you need to do. You need to, you need to, the Bible says in Psalm 107, verse 20, that he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. And see, there's no distance to the word of God. You don't even have to be in their presence to send the word to them. And and, and what you need to do is you need to take the word over in Ephesians uh, chapter 1. You need to take the Word of God and begin to pray the Word of God over this individual. Now, this is the first step of what you need to do. I mean, you know, you could just walk in there and say, Okay, I'm going to cast the devil out of you. Well, that might be the right thing to do, and it might not. Amen? But we're going to send the Word. We need to send the Word to that individual. Now, I'm talking about a loved one here. I'm not talking about your children. You realize that you have direct authority over your children. But some of your kinfolks and your relatives, if they're not your children, you don't have direct authority in their lives. You understand that? Do y'all do y'all understand lines of authority? Well, so we're not talking about your children here. Praise God. So you send the word of God over in Ephesians chapter one. This is what you begin to do. In verse sixteen, Paul prayed this prayer, and you pray Paul's prayers for this woman. Father, it says, and I would pray it this way. Father, I cease not to give thanks for this woman, and I make mention of this woman, I don't even know her name, in my prayers. And I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto her the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of her understanding would be enlightened, and that she may know what is the hope of His calling, and what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And see, just start sending the Word out there and letting the Word do the work. We talked this morning about putting the pressure over on the Word of God and not letting the pressure get on you. See, letting the Word do the work. Do you see this? Can you see it? And and then go down there through, uh, you can pray all the way down through verse 23 there. We won't, but you could. And then in verse uh, chapter 3. It says in verse fourteen, for this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then in verse sixteen he begins praying, and I pray that he would grant you, according to the riches of his riches of his glory, to be strengthened by, by to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in her heart by faith. And that she would be rooted and grounded in love. And I pray, Father, that she would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And that she would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And that she would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now this is the first step. And I would do this until the Lord released me not to do it. I would speak this word. I would speak these scriptures over. And all these Pauline prayers. But you can go over to uh, Colossians chapter, uh, let's see. There's there's a prayer in yeah there's a good one in, in verse nine beginning in verse nine, and I I pray and desire that she might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I pray that she would walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and that she would increase in the knowledge of God, and that she strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, and and you pray that, and uh, and then there's others. That you know all through the the Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, and Colossian prayers. Those those are the Pauline prayers, and, and praying those prayers and getting the word out there at work, and then any other scriptures that the Lord gives you to speak over this this this, this dear woman, this this saint of the Lord. You see, it's not His will for her to be bound. Amen, amen, and probably through ignorance. She opened the door for him from him someplace. Well, I tell you what happened. The the lady told me said there's the curse of the generations. And you know what happened? He told her that you're going to have it too, and she believed the lie. Right. Amen. And she let it and she let it creep in on her. That that's what happened. That's what happened. She didn't have to take it, but she did. And God wants her free. Amen. And then the next thing you need to do, this is what you need to do. And, and I'm, I I told this woman I was going to talk about it tonight and that I was gonna, it would help us all, and it, it is, it's going to help us all. And uh, the next thing you need to do, see, every situation and every person is different. Every situation. God knows how to get them free, but every person is different. We can't just give you, here's the formula, one, two, three, do the same thing for everybody. We can't do that. And so what you need to do is you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to pray and look to your inner man and hear the voice of the Holy Ghost and do what he says to do. Amen? Because he'll tell you how to get that woman free. He'll tell you when to do it. You know, you may have to pray these prayers for a while. But he'll tell you when to do it. And he'll tell you what to do. It may be something very simple. It may be a matter of binding the devil. It may be a matter of casting the devil out of her. But you may not even ever say those words. It may be something totally different. I know Billy Brim told us a story this weekend while we was there. Do you all have time to listen to a story? Uh, and uh, she, this was really interesting. She talked about a woman who had been abducted by a man from up in the hills of West Virginia, I guess where they live a little bit different life. If you read the book, Christie, you might know somehow about how the hill people live and a lot of uh, incest and things like that up there and a lot of sin and and things. And so this man came out of the hills and abducted this woman out of Ohio and, and literally just kidnapped her and stole her and took her up there and kept her out against her will for several years, Her, him and his mother. And, uh, and, and for many years, she was in her right mind, and so she uh, had a tape recorder, and she turned it on one night and kind of kicked it under the, the sofa and, uh, uh, and recorded what they were doing to her and what they were saying to her. And there was horrible, horrible things, Billy said, and she told us some of them, and won't take time to go into that, but just saying horrible things to her and just treating her horribly. And she escaped, she got away, and she gave this tape to her family. And then that man came back and got her again. And they didn't—they had not heard from her for five years. And then this time they didn't hear from her for three years. And then finally she escaped again and got away. But by this time she was catatonic. I mean, she was just staring ahead. She was—she was totally mentally oppressed and bound. And. Uh, and so there was a preacher there's a preacher one of Billy Brim's friends I, she called his name but I didn't know it and didn't re, don't recall it anyway so Billy was going to their church to preach a, a revival and he said man I've been waiting on you to get here we've got a case here and I don't know I've never done anything like this and so he said I want you to listen to this tape and so she listened to the tape the family had brought the family had sought this preacher out they, weren't, they were Christians but they weren't spirit filled Christians they didn't know anything about these type of things but they had heard that this man might could help her this preacher and so they brought this tape and said, can you help our our loved one? I think it was their daughter. And she said, they said, yeah. He said, yeah, I can help her. And so they, and so Billy listened to the tape, and she said, man, I didn't know what we were going to do. I did not know. And so they were going to meet him at the church the next day with this woman. And this woman's name was Jenny. And they, she said Jenny was just, she was just staring straight ahead. She was just, she walked like this. And that, and she just drew, She was drooling the whole time. Just drooling the whole time. And, you know, that's demon possession. And uh, so she um, that she couldn't do it. She could do things if you told her to do do it. Like if you told her swallow, she would swallow. But if you didn't tell her to swallow, she didn't swallow. That's why she drooled. And so she would do what you told her to do. And so Billy said she's looking down in her heart. She's looking down in her heart. Now, Lord, what do we do here? What do we do? And she said she heard the Holy Ghost say, walk around this church building and see, the family and the girl, Jenny, sitting over here, and Billy and I guess the preacher sitting over here on this side of the church, and she said, walk around this church building singing Jesus Loves Me. Tell Jenny to do that. See, Jenny would do anything you told her to do, but she, you know. So she said everybody else kind of walked around the church building real quietly singing Jesus Loves Me. But said Jenny walked around like this, Jesus loves me That's Screaming, though, a lot louder than I'm talking. Because And she had learned that song as a child, and she had been in Sunday school. And so they did that once. And when they did it once, well, Billy said, the Lord said, now hug her and tell her Jesus loves her. So she hugged her and said, Jesus loves you. No, he doesn't. And she's just staring straight ahead still in this catatonic state. She said, the Lord, said, so, okay, Lord, what do we do next? Well, walk around this room again and sing Jesus loves me. So they did this. And they ended up doing it seven times. And after the seventh time, I guess every time they said they told Jenny Jesus loves you, and she'd say no. But after the seventh time, she said Jesus loves me. She agreed with him. Jesus loves me. And um, so uh, the Lord said, "Okay, now lead her in the prayer of salvation." And so they led her in the prayer of salvation. And, uh and and, uh, and 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 Billy said she prayed the prayer, but she prayed it very catatonically, real. Uh, uh, and, it, you know, just real rote. And, you know, but she said, but Billy said, I knew in my heart that she had been saved. And so Billy said, uh, uh, we went and sat down. And she said, she sat over here. And she said, I was far away from her. And just under my breath, I said, just, just under my breath, she said, ever so softly, I said, she's saved now. She's got the life of God in her. And said, the girl over here, she said, there's no way in the natural she could have heard me. And she said, that's right, and you know you have to let that stuff work a while. (laughs) (laughs) And and then she just went back into her catatonic state. And so, the the, the Billy looking in in her heart, looking to her heart, what do we do now? Tell the pastor of this church to meet this family with this girl every day for a week down here. And to lay hands on her every day. Now, see, this is something we hadn't understood in the body of Christ. I guess I'll have to explain this because, so you'll understand. We've been taught, and it's true, that you don't pray the prayer of faith more than once. Because the second time you pray it, you you were praying the first time you must have been praying in unbelief. And you understand what I mean? And so we've been taught that. But, you know, the truth of the matter is that Jesus laid hands on a man twice. Isn't that right? In the Gospels, he laid hands on a man twice. A blind man, if you remember, he first he laid hands on him. The man said, and Jesus said, "Can you see?" And he said, "I tree see, I see trees walking." No, he said, "I see men as trees walking." <laughs> Praise God, and um, and uh, so Jesus then laid hands on him again. And the fact is, family, that we can lay hands on more than once in order to release the anointing into. We don't pray the prayer of faith again in unbelief. In other words, we don't do this in unbelief. Oh, well, it didn't work. Let's see if, let's try again and see if it works. No, we're just keep releasing the anointing. We got the life of God in us and we can keep releasing the anointing. And let's see, I believe it was John G. Lake that said it this way, that he said, uh, we go to the doctor more than one time sometimes and get a second treatment. And sometimes we need to get a second release of the anointing. Sometimes we need many, the anointing needs to be released in us several times over and over not praying in unbelief but just letting that life of God go into us and so billy said you know i want this is what you need to do all this week the pastor come down lay hands on her and let the life of God go into her and so said they did that and then billy had went early because these were her friends and so then they started on a meeting this was like Monday and Tuesday. She went early to visit with them. And on Wednesday, they started meetings. And they had win- meetings Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then on Sunday. And on Sunday morning, a woman came to the church and said, Hi! You know, and just and, and she said, You don't know me, do you? And Billy said, No. And she said, I'm Jenny. Hallelujah. And Jenny was totally free. Amen. Was yeah. Well, they, they didn't ever bind the devil. They didn't ever cast, but they just followed what the Holy Ghost said to do. Because He knows how to set each and every individual free. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to send the Word out there. They're in Ephesians. Amen? Amen. On behalf of that woman. And then we follow the Holy Ghost and find out what He wants us to do. Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand up together. I got it in my heart that afternoon.